Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC-FM and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning. And we are pleased to be joined by two guests, Captain Chris McKee with the Suffield Police Department and Karen Hanley, Program Director for the Mobile Crisis Response Team with CHR. They are here to discuss a new program to divert individuals with serious mental health issues from the criminal justice system into the appropriate community-based behavioral health care services that they need. This is a program that has been launched in Suffield, East Windsor, Windsor Locks, and East Granby. Good morning to both of you. Good morning. Good morning, Aaron. So why don't you start by telling us how this program got off the ground? The Suffield Police Department and, and my prior law enforcement experience with the Windsor Police Department have always enjoyed a great relationship with community health resources, um, the mental health provider for our region. Um, we all continually see the amount of interactions that occur between the police and those community members of ours that have mental health or behavioral health issues. And uh, an opportunity was presented by the federal government to get some grant funding to improve our strategies, develop some new strategies, and to partner together. So that's what brought us together. Tell us about some of the situations where you might be able to employ the, the services offered here. So... As a, as a police department, Aaron, uh, you know, we get 911 is, is the fallback for anybody and everybody. We're here 24-7. So um, particularly families that have a, a family member who does experience a crisis or has a mental illness, the police get called. And although our training has significantly increased in, in the, over the past decades, um, we're, not, we're simply not the best that, that necessarily handle all situations because folks are in crisis. Um, that doesn't necessarily equate to incarceration. And um, we need resources. And so by having Community Health Resources as our partner, um, and we've had a, a long-lasting relationship, but by now enhancing that and having a clinician actually working at the police department, um, we can more effectively respond to calls and um, more effectively link our community members to services rather than simply putting them into the criminal justice system or, or hospitalizing them. And most importantly, with our partnership with CHR, we have a mechanism for follow-up now. So our community members that do experience a crisis or are in a mental health or behavioral health emergency, um, when they come back out, they're not simply alone again. You know, there, there'll be a, a mechanism of follow-up uh, so we can ensure the best care in the community for our people. This is a five-year, $1.6 million federal grant. There are really three components to this. There's training, there's the embedded clinician, and then there's the community outreach piece. Karen, is this something new or have other jurisdictions employed this model? 
This is not a new concept for the state of Connecticut. The Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services, DEMASES in Connecticut, does fund embedded clinicians for some of the state-operated crisis teams. What is really new and exciting for our program is having federal funding through SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Agency, um, funding this five-year program that allows a regional effort with the four towns to have an embedded clinician provide services and training and have this collaborative cooperative to provide the training, do the outreach and follow-up after the police may hospitalize someone, and to ensure that someone is getting the services that they need post-hospital, and also to engage the community around education, around mental health and substance use um, issues that may be happening, and suicide prevention. And also, we're highlighting the need to address veterans' needs and services in the North Central area. Um, Veteran services, because of the geographic area, veterans... um, at at times don't always get the services that they need because the area is uh, lacking transportation. The closest VA um, medical center is 26 miles to the south. And um, transportation could be a real barrier as well. And what we found in doing research for the grant is that 17.6% of the veterans in the North Central area that we'll be servicing um, are over the age of 64, which is a demographic that is considered high risk for suicide. Um, And we'd really like to highlight services and outreach to that population. As you noted, this is an area where People can be isolated. These are small towns, only about 34,000 in population if you combine all four. And you noted before we we started the program also kind of an alarming suicide rate that's higher than the average and opioid-related deaths. Certainly not something that's exclusive to these four communities. It's unfortunately happening all over the state, but again, a bit of a higher rate here as well. Correct. What we found with the um, Connecticut Suicide um, Prevention Plan 2020 is that this four-town area has a significant higher rate of suicide than other parts of the state. And adding to that, the opioid crisis and deaths associated that with that, it's very important that services be focused on this area. Um, and again, On top of that, the barriers adding to that, the isolation, the lack of transportation, and getting services, which impede people's ability to get help and get the help that they need in a timely manner. Captain McKee, as you noted, 911 is often the the first call someone in trouble makes. Yes. Walk us through how this unfolds once the call is placed and maybe the police department isn't necessarily the the right place for this individual to get help? So it's understandable that our, our community members fall back on 911. Um, what can be done? Who can help me? And, and so that call is made. Um, 
previously as a, a profession, as a culture, um, law enforcement didn't have a lot of crisis intervention training. You know, again, we were we very regimented training to come in, take control, assess what's going on, make a decision. Is there going to be an arrest and then move on to the next call? Um, and that's what, unfortunately, in the past has occurred, you know, both in Connecticut and nationally. Um, there has been a significant movement to train our personnel how to recognize a crisis, how to recognize uh, various signs and symptoms of different disorders, and how to successfully de-escalate so that force is not needed, arrest is not needed, and you know ultimately it can be a positive encounter and interaction as opposed to some that we've all seen played out on, on TV and on social media where there's tragic results or certainly negative uh, results between the police and those in our community with mental illness. So that is the traditional way things have gone in law enforcement, Aaron. This new partnership, this grant funding opportunity will allow for lots of training to occur. It'll allow for our staff to be even further enhanced with awareness and education um, on how to address the situation. And of course, it'll enhance the resources we have to for follow-up. This is something that has really evolved over the years. Uh, how difficult is it for especially people in law enforcement who've been doing this a long time to, to change that thinking and not simply you know neutralizing the threat but getting that person help? Well, it's a, it's an interesting point. You Yes, because we have been trained to get in and, and deal with it in that traditional law and order type mentality. Um, you know, Going back, a lot of departments have adopted this crisis intervention team model that, that originated out of Memphis, Tennessee. And um, a lot of departments have trained personnel. And the whole crux and concept of CIT training is to slow everything down, is not to – is to understand why someone's um, disorder, the signs and symptoms of what they're going through – isn't going to necessarily be conducive to a police running in and taking control. So we've done a lot of training uh, as a state and certainly as a region um, in crisis intervention training. But the the fact is that's a 40-hour training. So it's, it's very lengthy to take a police officer off of a patrol shift to attend. Um, it's costly you know, to backfill with staffing to make sure we have adequate police protection for the community while we have officers in training. And when you look at the four agencies uh, that we are partnered with, the four agencies with CHR uh, for this grant funding, we're all small departments. And it's even more difficult because we have less personnel to, to manage this with. So um, we will be, the, one of the tenants of our grant program is that 25% of all police department personnel in these four agencies will have been trained in crisis intervention team training. So we are hoping that just that alone, we'll start to see some significant um, impacts on how we perform and how we interact with those in our community. So this is a regional team, so the departments will will lend resources to each other if if there's a situation that develops or are you kind of all you know four separate um well it's not a, it's not a formalized team but i will say that uh by all of us partnering together with community health resources um that certainly could occur i mean um you know some of these departments where we have you know very few two to three officers perhaps uh on patrol on an, any given shift. So um, by working together cl more closely, we will definitely rely on each other more and for, for support and for the understanding and for not acknowledging that, okay, 
this is going to take some time. You know, we're going to be at this house trying to build a rapport with the individual. It's going to take time. And, you know, if we need other agency assistance, then we will all certainly do that. We'll take advantage of that. And some people do certainly travel between towns, and we are aware of them between certain jurisdictions and towns. And it really does work well for the different law enforcement agencies to collaborate with one another and the different social service agencies to collaborate. And that's the beauty of the embedded clinician is that the embedded clinician will be working with the social service agencies, the law enforcement agencies, area agencies on aging. It's um, really utilizing all the town departments as well um, and, and using a really holistic program to help people in the community and making sure that all their needs are met as well. It seems that it's not a situation where you do your 40 hours of training and you're done. This is something that's ongoing, isn't it? That's correct. That's correct. It It's Kind of like fitness, it's a it's a change of lifestyle. It's not simply here's some training, here's some manuals, and go to it. Um, I mean, the practical skills that need to be applied in the field. Um, you know, that takes time to develop. It takes time to improve on a daily basis. So, um, and yes, you know, there, there's follow up. There's uh, communication and partnership with other agencies. So this isn't one of those things you go and learn how to maybe write a ticket and then get out of class and you're all set. This is um, it's an ongoing commitment by the town governments of all four jurisdictions. It's an ongoing commitment by the police chiefs and the uh, personnel of all four departments. And uh, thankfully, we've got a a very experienced uh, partner in community health resources, and and they've been addressing mental health and behavioral health for for a long time. And they've got a incredible wide variety of services that can be offered depending on what the needs of our community members are. So um, we're very optimistic and, and, you know, we're all committed to, to the long term on this. You're listening to Face Connecticut. We're talking to Captain Chris McKee with the Suffield Police Department, also Karen Hanley, Program Director, Mobile Crisis Response Team for CHR, about a new initiative to divert individuals with mental health issues away from the criminal justice system and get them the services they need. This is a program that's been rolled out in Suffield, East Windsor, Windsor Locks, and East Granby. I'm wondering how you've announced this initiative to the community. What has your outreach been like and what's been the response so far? So uh, with the different communities, East Granby and Windsor Locks and East Windsor and Suffield, um, we collectively held a, uh, a, a information session, if you will, for media to, to get the word out on this. And, and certainly CHR has done their own um, publicizing of this initiative. Um, we just received the grant at the very end of the year here in November. So um, we're still in the very beginning stages of the planning and hiring some of the personnel that will be involved on the, on the mental health provider side of the house. But um, we've announced it and we are promoting it with our partner agencies. As Karen mentioned, um, you know, you see four police patches on the uh, on the press release and CHR, but um, as Karen so succinctly stated, we'll be working with social services in each town, youth services in each town, any other uh, local grassroots agencies that we can all get out of our individual silos and come together. So um, we're thinking and we're hoping uh, that through public awareness, 
and through working with those that are focused on this population, our population of veterans, our population of those with mental health illnesses, um, that this will become more and more of a mainstay that people will know this is a resource in their communities. Karen, talk a little more about the embedded behavioral health clinician. Is this person going to be on call 24-7 in the event of a situation? Well, it's interesting how this um, person and the relationship manifests because there is the CHR mobile crisis response team that responds to these towns as well when the embedded clinician is not working. So that will be an adjunct to this embedded clinician as um, an opportunity for assistance to the towns as well. Um, We have a 24-hour mobile crisis response team that covers the 18 towns surrounding the Enfield and Manchester areas. Um, But we envision the embedded clinician um, working between the towns having identified days to do the embedded follow-ups being available for crises as well, and um, also focusing on the training of the police personnel, because training is, is a large part of this project and um, continuing the education of law enforcement and the officers throughout the five-year process. Um, After the CIT, the crisis intervention team training, there's always more training that is beneficial. And, you know, it's a muscle that you need to keep exercising. And that's so important. Um, So there's a lot of parts of this position that will be occurring. Has this person been hired yet or is that in process? That is in process right now. So Aaron, if I could add to what Karen uh, Karen's saying, the other component that's built into this project is a advisory committee. Uh, there'll be a standing advisory committee uh, with representatives from all of the towns, the elected leaders, the police command staff, the police chiefs, um, and others with CHR, of course. So um, to, to Karen's point about uh, the clinician, the embedded clinician, perhaps spending different days in different towns, we're also going to have a lot of um, oversight and a lot of input, a lot of feedback from all jurisdictions that um, we need X number of hours, or this seems to be our peak of when we're responding to these types of calls. So there is the ability to be flexible and to, to modify Um, to obviously be where we need to be, where the greatest need is as this goes forward. And the oversight committee also will include um, family members of people who may be experiencing mental health issues and or substance use issues and people with lived experience as well, because it's important to hear what their needs are and what's important to them and what works and what doesn't work. I'm guessing one of the challenges might be the blurred line between getting someone mental health services and holding them accountable if they break the law. I'm guessing there may be a number of instances where someone needs services, but also may find themselves under arrest. So that's an that's, uh, interesting concept that we in law enforcement struggle with all the time. What part of the education of our staff will be is to evaluate each and every case situation. And, um, you know, is this a person, uh, the behaviors demonstrated or the actions going on, is that uh, indicative of a mental health crisis? Um, if so, we certainly know how to respond to that and who to partner with. And, and um, there may be other situations that it's it's 
criminal behavior, but it involves, uh, you know, some type of uh, disorder. Um, those are the circumstances where we're just encouraging our officers. What are the resources that will best serve this person? Um, you know, and it's not to say that this is exclusive. It's not to say that it's either mental health or arrest. As you said, there, there certainly might be some circumstances that present themselves that there needs to be some type of criminal um, accountability, you know, particularly if there's violence against another person um, and that person's filing the complaint. But those are circumstances that we also are going to be training. Does the arrest need to happen right now? Is this an immediate thing? Okay, if there's a threat of violence or something that needs to be addressed, well, unfortunately, you know, our officers are going to do what they're trained to do. I mean, it's just we have to do it. Um, on the flip side, is this some? Is it better to get this person into services to get them where they need to be, and then follow up down the road um, in a less volatile situation with some type of criminal accountability? So those are things that we'll be watching closely, training our staff in, and um, you know, modifying as we need to as we go forward. And I think what's so important, what Captain McKee said in the ten years that he and I've been working together and doing the crisis intervention team training, is really the working partnership and the teaching of each other's professions and the training that goes along and law enforcement understanding that trauma really does play a large part in how someone's behavior may manifest and maybe the use of substances to cope with trauma. And that education really does help officers in interacting with people who may be experiencing a mental health crisis. And it's so important because there is that education that happens and then that discussion that can happen because the goal of this um, grant is really to divert people from the criminal justice system. And also we hope in the long run to divert people from unnecessary hospitalizations and to have people be successful in the community with the appropriate outpatient mental health and substance use services and support for people's families and loved ones as well. I couldn't agree with more with what Karen's saying. Um, one of the main concepts of the training that is going to be conducted is building empathy in our in our officers. And, and certainly many of them already have that and display that. But some of them without uh, the same life experiences may not. And so if we tackle the issue of, of making our officers understand and be more empathetic of a, a person's situation or the family member's experience, recognizing that when a family member calls us for help uh, with their loved one that's going through a crisis, they've probably tried a whole wide range of alternatives and they're at they're at their breaking point they don't know where else to go nothing else has worked uh, other people haven't been responsive or they've shut the door in their face so if we and i know we will uh you know further the idea of empathy towards the families and towards these individuals um whether it's you know when we're interacting with our veteran population whether it's interacting with our community members um that all will kind of change the mindset, if you will, or at least at least you know, tackle that issue so that we are approaching this in a much more um, system approach, a much more holistic approach. And it's not simply, did you commit A? If so, then the B happens to you. So uh, that's something that is, is very much a cornerstone of everything we'll be doing. And if all goes as planned, when do you see this program fully rolled out? So, well, in January, we, are, uh, we have a very... Um, 
well-defined timeline. Mm-hmm. So it is our intent, you know, that uh, in our grant program. So it's uh, our intention that by the end of January, we will have a embedded clinician hired. We'll have that person beginning to uh, work with our law enforcement personnel and, um, you know, proceed into all the different jurisdictions from then. If people want to learn more, where can they go? Um, well, they could certainly contact Community Health Resources. Um, Karen, you they can contact me at Community Health Resources at the Mobile Crisis Response Team, and my phone number is 860-697-3359. She is Karen Hanley with CHR, joined by Captain Chris McKee with the Suffield Police Department. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.